From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, December 14th. Construction started in south-central Wyoming back in 2016 on what will be the country's largest wind farm. The project is unusual because of its size and also because it's located on federal land. But a federal agency is also stalling a key aspect of its development. Kyle Mackey of KHOL Jackson reports. Jason Thiesfeld is driving a white pickup truck over a network of newly built dirt roads winding through sagebrush and native grasses. The landscape is almost a textbook definition of the wide open spaces Wyoming is famous for. Think about it. I mean, last year there was not a road through here. It was almost, you'd almost have to ride a horse and to get across this country. And I just passed my turn. See, there's so many new roads, I can't even remember where I'm going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and now it's just this nice- Thiesfeld is site coordinator of the Choke Cherry and Sierra Madre Wind Energy Project for the Power Company of Wyoming. He's been working yeah, on the 320,000 acre project site near Rollins for almost 15 years, even before construction started. That's because this project required more environmental analysis than your average wind farm. We know everything about the site, the wind, the vegetation, the habitat, the wildlife, where things live, where things move, where the wind blows. (laughs) It's a huge science project, really. Kara Choquette is the company's communications director. She says the Chokecherry and Sierra Madre project is probably one of the most scrutinized wind farms in the country because of its location on Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, land. It's just a a fact that when you are doing energy projects on federal land, there's more environmental review, more environmental scrutiny, therefore more time, more costs. And that's just how it is. (laughs) We're probably 97 to 98 percent located on private lands across the country, and that can't remain the same. Tom Darren is senior director of Western State Affairs for the American Clean Power Association, the largest wind trade association in North America. We need to tap in to the great uh, wind and solar resources that are on our public lands in the Western United States. That's because Congress set an ambitious goal last year of permitting 25 gigawatts of renewable energy projects on public lands by 2025. The current capacity of permitted projects is about 12 gigawatts, according to the BLM. The Chokecherry and Sierra Madre site will generate at least 3,000 megawatts of clean electricity once it's completed. But another federal agency is standing in the way of how that electricity will reach customers via the planned TransWest Express transmission line. I guess it's um, disappointing that there is there, there was so much collaboration to develop the route for the project. The TransWest project was designated a rapid response team federal priority transmission project by the Obama administration 10 years ago. And the last mile and the last obstacle is a federal agency. The LA Times reported in August that the last private landowner blocking the construction path for TransWest is Cross Mountain Ranch in Northwest Colorado. The family is backed by the Natural Resources Conservation Service, part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Basically, the BLM approved a path for TransWest across part of the ranch in 2013. But then in 2014, the NRCS approved conservation easements in the same area that specifically prohibited the construction of transmission lines. In this area, there is no conflict except the one that the NRCS created. 
the Trans West project would cross the conservation easement on land that is not great sage grouse habitat. So it's a 16,000 acre conservation easement. The project needs 30 acres alongside a state highway. Choquette says the company had no choice but to file a lawsuit against the USDA in 2019. That's still playing out, but she's hoping for a decision soon, and preferably long before the first of about 900 wind turbines start going up on the site in 2025 or 2026. For KHOL and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Kyle Mackey. This story is part of a new Rocky Mountain Community Radio reporting collaborative on the transition away from fossil fuels. Across the nation, almost half of tribal homes don't have steady access to clean drinking water. The Colorado River Basin is home to many of those where families depend on bottled water trucked in from faraway cities. And even in the few communities that have seen substantive improvements, the road to getting clean water is lined with hurdles. KUNC's Alex Hager reports. Just outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, the city turns to desert in a matter of minutes. Office buildings and apartments give way to a dusty expanse of scrubby brush and beige plains. And here, just 30 minutes from a city with half a million people, you can't drink from kitchen faucets. Our water here, it comes out. Some days, it's like the color of the sand here. Nora Morris was born and raised here, in the Navajo community of Tohajale, New Mexico. Now she works at the senior center, where clean water arrives by truck. To make sure that we're cooking with safe water, and we're also utilizing water to sanitize our you know, our pots and pan. That's the case for most of the 2,000 people who live here. Bottled water is brought in by the crate load from the Walmart in Albuquerque. But for bathing and cleaning, it's water from the city pipes. On our hair, it makes it hard. And then our skin is more drier. That's resident Rihanna Apachito. Sometimes it comes out orange, brown, black. They've had bad tap water here for decades. Mark Begay has operated the water system for more than 30 years. Five of the six wells in town have collapsed or stopped running. So we're only dealing with one distribution well, so we're in a water crisis here in Tojile. But a fix is coming. As far as tribal communities with bad water go, Tohajile is one of the lucky ones. It's about to get a pipeline connecting it to the same water system that feeds Albuquerque. From atop a hill, looking out towards the city, Begay points to where it'll run. And it's going to come that way and zigzag this way. Our water is set to flow in 2023, about 17 years after the town and Albuquerque's water department agreed to the deal. Even with support from politicians and advocacy groups, getting clean water just hasn't been easy. The frustration has came from various different entities or different setbacks. Sherry Lynn Apache manages funding for projects in Tohajale. Whether if it was a grant funding, um, a property owner, um, land ownership, um, right-of-ways. One big hurdle came from a private developer who owned land in the planned path of the pipeline. And for a time, it seemed like it could stand in the way of getting clean water to Tohajale, but they finally struck an agreement in late 2020. It's it's kind of sh- terrifying to know, like, we did once upon a time own the majority of the lands, and why do we have such a, a hard time regathering our land or the acreage of our land to move forward? 
And even with permission, there's still plenty of work that needs to be done. Once we receive the water, there's additional infrastructure that is needed within our community, additional funds that need to be provided, um, additional uh, pipings need to be upgraded from the asbestos pipings. And of course, all of this is expensive, especially for a community that struggles to fulfill the required matching for the grants it does receive or pay back money when it's been given as a loan. They've been able to get most of the way there with pandemic relief programs and the recently passed infrastructure bill. But Crystal Tuli Cordova says this is an issue that's playing out on Navajo land well beyond Tohajale and well beyond the timeline promised in the federal spending plans. She works as a hydrologist with the Navajo Nation Water Department. You think about the amount, you know, almost 40% of people that don't have running water. It's not going to take one um, infrastructure bill to address that, and it's not going to be able to be done by the end of 2024. Um, These are challenges that are wicked. She says the core of these problems is rooted in the history of how the West was built, all the way back to the earliest days of white settlers deciding who would have access to water. And when you look at the historical photos of, you know, the signing of different compacts and what's visible there is that there was no presence of indigenous peoples participating, although they've occupied the the lands and used the water resources. And with climate change shrinking the supply in the Colorado River and disproportionately harming indigenous people, working to get them clean water is only getting more important. In Tohajale, New Mexico, I'm Alex Hager. This is the first in a series of stories KZMU will air ahead of the first ever mandatory cutbacks for some who use water from the Colorado River. This story is also part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, December 14th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.